We're in 2 Corinthians, and if you have a testimony, you can still interrupt me. We're not to our text yet. We're looking at chapter 10 and verse 5. Paul wrote this letter as a letter of encouragement. Have you ever known a preacher in your life? Maybe you grew up under a preacher, and he was always negative, condemning, hard, and you, you, you like a certain portion of that. And then you have another pastor, maybe sometime in your life. He's always encouraging. He never preaches like that. He's always like this. You know, we're, we need them both, but that there has to be a balance, doesn't there? You know, Paul wrote the first letter of Corinthians as a stern rebuke. He called the Corinthians, you know, quite a few despairing things he said about them. You're carnal. You're fleshly. He talked about their immorality, their drunkenness. Uh, how they would sue one another. And he just went on and just totally, he, he talked about putting people out of the church because of those sins. And he just really ripped them, you know. Then he writes, after they repent and a lot of them get right and the church is doing better, he writes this letter. And this letter is so, much, so encouraging. Now, we're not going to necessarily look at those portions tonight, but I just want to introduce the book as Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, a very carnal church. And... uh we sometimes don't realize how churches can be so carnal. I have been a pastor at times to churches that acted like that and thought, oh me, but there's always some good people. And you have to remember that you're there to straighten out things, but you're also there to encourage people. And, and our, our calling is, is, you know, when you're called to be a pastor, you're called by God, and, and the calling includes so many things that you, you never feel like you're measuring up, but you want to encourage, and yet you want to rebuke. And you want to love and pray and cry with people, yet sometimes you just have to preach hell and, and preach the difficult things. And and uh, some things are hard to preach. And I, I just say that about this book because it's such a flip from 1 Corinthians. But let's read chapter 10 and verse 5. Chapter 10 and verse 5. We'll read verse 4, but our text is verse 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Don't worry about winning an argument. Stand with me. Don't worry about winning a fight. Don't worry about winning arguments. You know, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You remember those massive cities they had that were walled? Our weapons are spiritual, and we can pull down those strongholds. Then the verse that I want you to see, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God help us tonight to realize our mind it's very important that we allow things in that are encouraging and helpful, but keep things out that will hurt us. Helps to realize that our minds are just open to so many new things and sometimes bad things. And we have to really gird up the loins of our minds and be careful what we let go in the eye gate and in the ear gate and help us with our thought processes to realize our thoughts do matter. And if they're displeasing, they'll lead about Lead us about to displeasing acts. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn over to chapter uh, 2, chapter 2 and verse 11. 
chapter 2 and verse 11. And I, I like this verse too. He talks about forgiving and forgiving others. And if we don't forgive in verse 10, you know, you know what happens. We're not forgiven. But look at verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. So if you don't forgive, he takes advantage. But we are not ignorant of his devices. That word devices is a Greek word. Nuos. We get our, our, our English words perceive, perception, and thought, the thinking process. That's this word. In other words, Satan really messes with our minds. You know, he just puts thoughts in there all the time. If you're struggling, he'll say, you know, so-and-so doesn't like you. And he knows that the person didn't speak to you. Maybe it was, you know, uh, unintentional, but Satan says he doesn't like you. Now watch, next time. And it so happens he works it out where you're thinking, this person doesn't like me. Or you're thinking bad thoughts about people. Well, that person, he was friendly to my wife, and, and he must be uh, wanting to be with my wife. And I have had that experience, not personally, but in a church where someone accused one of our staffers of something, and all he was doing was being nice. Um, years ago, it happened to me in a different way. I had a young 20-something-year-old girl, and I was probably in my 40s, no, I was 50s, and she was 20-something, and I, I, I was told by her brother-in-law, I said, at dinner table, she talks so highly of you and respects you so much about your kids and your leadership, and her husband gets jealous when she says that, and so one day he comes into church, I didn't know any of this, and he comes up and just rails on me, and I'm like, what is going on, and she's pulling on him and tears in her eyes. I didn't know about that until after the fact. But what happened? The devil put thoughts in his head. In, in, you know, I had several children older than her. He was so relieved when, uh, I think it was my 55th birthday maybe, 10 years ago, I, uh, someone made fun of the fact that I was 55, and, and he was, I was older than his mother-in-law, and he was like, what was I thinking? He's a really old man. Well, hello. You were obviously thinking things that weren't true. And really, he was, his kids were in the hospital. I went up there, and I had kind of a breakthrough with him. And God took care of all that. But what I'm saying is, we have to be careful what we think about. Isaiah said, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. I know in Acts chapter 20 and verse 19, Acts 20, 20 is a verse on going house to house. But in 2019, it says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Serving the Lord with humility of mind. Satan is the author of confusion. And uh, I like Philippians 4, 7. Turn there. We're going to go to a few verses this evening. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. I love this verse, and it precedes my mom's favorite verse, which I hated for a long time. And I'll tell you why. But in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, this is a, a couple of verses you want to mark, 4, 7. And uh, it says here, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So again and again we're going to see the word mind. The thought process is very, very important. Our minds are important. But my mom always quoted verse 8. I'd come home with a negative, negative attitude about a teacher or a coach or a, someone at church. And my mom would say, well, 
Find ye brethren. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report or lovely, and it, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I say, please, Mom, I've heard that verse from you hundreds of times, but I know the verse, you know, because my mom was never negative. I tell people my dad made up for it. <laughs> my mom, I never saw my mom angry. She would say, now you sit down two minutes, and if you don't, when your dad gets home, I'm going to tell him. And I obeyed because I feared dad. But uh, my mom was always encouraging, always positive, always praying with us. An awesome mom. But that verse annoyed me because it convicted me. It was so important for me to think on these good things, and I had a bad habit of being negative. Our mental institutions are full of people who are affected by the curse and sin, the fall of mankind, and affected by Satan. I believe many of them are probably demon-possessed. We put them on all kinds of medications. Sometimes we release them and give them medications, but many times they're not believers, and demons have control of their mind, and the demons influence them. Satan uses false teachings to com confuse people, experiences. He'll sow uh, some tares amongst the wheat. He'll have sheep in with the wolves. Remember, he, oh, he's an angel of light, so he, he makes things seem okay. I've said this before. This is a quote worth writing down. The road of disobedience never gets you where you want to go. The road of disobedience never gets you where you want to go. So don't listen to him. Because he's full of lies. Many Greek words translated mind in the New Testament. We're going to refer to 11 of them tonight. 11 different Greek words translated mind. Think on that. That's amazing, isn't it? In Revelation chapter 17, verse 13, it said that the kings were of one mind in Revelation 17, 13. When they followed the beast to fight against the Lord, they were of one mind. In Acts 17, 11, and 2 Corinthians 8, 12, it talks about a willing mind. We read in one of our passages earlier, uh, uh, a humility of mind. Peter says we're to gird up the loins of our mind. What does that mean, Pastor? Just like the soldier would gird up. I used the illustration of my bathrobe the other day. I went home thinking, I've told two stories this week. Today I went home about me and my underwear. One getting the cookies and one going to the garbage can. And I had my robe on, okay? But I didn't when my sister caught me. But uh, that's a bad visual. But but you think of how they girded up and, and, and they tied everything together with that outer garment, that outer uh, uh, belt-like garment. And, and so we need to do that with our mind. Don't allow everything and anything come in. In fact, in 1 Peter 1.13, where it says, gird up the loins of our minds, it's a word dionia. We get our word diagnosis from it. You like it when the doctor comes in the room and he has a diagnosis. He says, here's what's wrong with you. You know, you're just not very smart. Well, I want a second opinion. Okay, you're dumb too. No, uh, yeah, the word diagnosis or diagnostics, that, that's the word here. And we're told here, uh, that, that we're supposed to gird up the loins of our mind. And then another word used, we're told to love God with all of our heart, soul, and minds three times in the New Testament. That's another word. And the words also used, that same words used in Luke 12, 29, don't be of a doubtful mind. Then over in Romans 8, 7, we're told not to be of a carnal mind. What does carnal mean? It means fleshly. 
fleshly. When you think about the things that satisfy your flesh, you're carnal. What satisfies your flesh? Well, we talked this morning about eating the wrong things or eating too much of the right things, and that's been a battle for me. But a lot of things satisfy the flesh. Men, lusting satisfies the flesh. It's okay when you, you desire your wife, but so often the devil throws some other woman in your mind. That's the fleshly mind. When you think, I'm going to get even with that guy, I'm waiting for my turn, that's the carnal or fleshly mind. Okay? When the alarm goes off and you say, I'm just going to call in sick because I don't feel like going to work, so you call and you lie, that's the fleshly mind, the carnal mind. And the Bible says the carnal mind or the flesh is always in opposition to the spirit. So it's never right to satisfy the flesh. You understand that? You have to force your flesh to do right. You know, you have to get up and you have to get on your knees to pray. You have to force yourself to read the Bible. It's so fleshly and fun to watch TV eight hours a day. But that's not good. You need to force yourself to do good things, things that help the Spirit. Pray and read your Bible and witness. Those things the flesh doesn't want to do. My mom found a little note, and she put it in my baby book. And when we got married, you know, she gave us her book with all these little thoughts. And I, I wrote, I, 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 my Sunday school teacher was, or no, not my Sunday school teacher, how did it go? I think my grandmother was asking me something, and I responded, I hate Sunday school, baths, and rutabaggies. And I like rutabagas. Now I had them at Wally's a while back. I thought, man, they're good. That's a good root, you know. I hate Sunday school baths and rutabagas. Well, all those things were definitely <laughs> things the old flesh didn't like. Something good to eat I didn't like. I didn't like taking a bath, which required a good effort. And I didn't like Sunday school, you know. And uh, I remember my dad finding me sitting outside the Sunday school class. And I wasn't out there because I was special. I wasn't the student of the week. I was in trouble. My teacher couldn't handle me, and he set me outside. And my dad with a wand as one time saw me sitting out there, and I had a regular place outside of the room, you know. And, uh, of course, my dad helped me change my mind about Sunday school and Awanas, you know. But uh, we're not to be of a carnal mind. We're not to be of a fleshly mind. Uh, it's okay to enjoy some things for the flesh, but not to let the carnal mind dictate our every move. It's not wrong to eat an Oreo cookie, two or three maybe. It's wrong to eat the whole bag, you know? Um, one time I was joking at my church, and military people are very disciplined. And uh, I was talking about my buddy Chuck. You met him one time. I let him Lord. He works for the airline company, retired. He's in now North Carolina, came by through here, and he prayed for us. And I said, Chuck and I would get a gallon of ice cream. This is when you had the real gallons, the big square things. And I'd get my butcher knife. I heated over a candle. I'd cut it in half. He'd eat half, and I'd eat half. And I told that story in Sunday school. And uh, Colonel Ryberg, our, our, uh, the next week, got up, and he taught. He said, Pastor, it's two scoops, Pastor. Two scoops, not a half a gallon. And, uh, and I thought to myself, why do I tell those illustrations? Well, just to explain to you, that our flesh is constantly desiring things that aren't good. Chocolate ice cream's fine if you have two scoops. If you called any one of my seven siblings, they would say 
seven of us, six siblings, say, how much ice cream did you get after dinner when you were good and got ice cream? They'd all tell you the same thing. You would, they wouldn't have to think about it. They'd all say, a scoop and a half. Mom thought two was excessive. It was always a scoop and a half. And we'd always look to see whose scoops were bigger than the other. <laughs> and it was a matter of, my mom was a very disciplined person, swam uh, 24 laps of the pool when she's 85, still swimming like that. And she was disciplined. She taught me that, and I rebelled. I didn't like the discipline. I went the other way. Where some of my siblings are very disciplined. Others rebelled against that, and I became kind of undisciplined. And I have to battle it and remember the words of my mom. But uh, the, the carnal mind. And so we're told to be of the same mind in church, in unity of one mind. Um, we're told that in several passages. And then the Bible says in Romans 1.28, don't be of a reprobate mind. You ever been a reprobate? You're the one that says, I ain't going to do it the way they say to do it. <laughs> How's that way sometimes as an athlete? I remember, um, you know, I, I played high school basketball and had college scholarships, but I would come down with a ball and they wanted me to give it to the, the point guard. I didn't want to give it to the point guard. So I'd take it right to the hole, and sometimes I'd score, and I'd justify it. Then in practice, I'd do a little extra running because I didn't listen. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I was a reprobate, you know? And I, I was one of those guys that, you know, teachers probably wanted to choke me. I, I'm sure that uh, some brought their, back then we could have our guns, you know? You have your 12-gauge in the back of your pickup truck, and I have... I remember in the parking lot, teachers handing shotguns around and talking about guns, you know, back in those days. But I'll bet some of them thought about getting their gun out when they saw me come. And, and, and we can be that way, a reprobate mind. And you say, well, I didn't do what you did, but you can still be one of a reprobate mind. When you go against everybody just to be obnoxious and to start controversy. And, and, and we can do that, be of a reprobate mind. Then we're told not to be of a corrupt mind. Corrupt mind. Corruption's a problem in our country. I think of our leaders. <laughs> all the corruption and stuff, you know, the laptops and, and all that. And I, I don't want to get political, but we see it in our leadership, but we've also seen it in churches. Huh? And we've seen it in Christian businesses. And if we're not careful, it'll be part of our lives. So we, we have to be pure and not corrupt. Then a vain mind, Ephesians 4.17, says don't be of a vain mind, an empty mind, a mind that cares about things of vanity. You know, some guys look in a mirror and they take a bow. So It's about three people, me, myself, and I. It's all about me, and I've got to be the best dressed and the best looking, and, uh, you know, I've got to do this, and I've got to all of it's vanity. And vanity, when, when all you care about are the temporal things, you have a vain mind. What did Solomon say? He said, remember the Creator in the days of thy youth? And he goes on to describe the human body breakdown. The keepers will tremble your hands. And just list all the things. And one of them is the head, you know. And while we're young, we have to realize that we can be a vain mind. We can be of a vain mind. We can care about the things of this world. I couldn't wait to get my Camaro, you know. I got rid of the old GTO, and then I got the Camaro, and it would pull the front wheels off the ground. I didn't know anything about cars, and I had a car like that. 
And all it was was a headache. Breaking down, getting pulled over. Boy, I wanted that car to impress people then and, and now. And, and back then, it was impress people back then. And you know what? That was just vanity. I'd ride my bike to the mall to buy clothes. I had more clothes. When I got my job bagging groceries, I got all kinds of clothes. All vanity. And in life, it's been a challenge to battle that in my own mind because we're not to be of a vain mind. We're not to be of a defiled mind. Thinking those immoral thoughts. We're not to be of a shaken mind, 2 Thessalonians 2.2 says, you know, when your Christian's all shook up all the time, not Elvis, I mean, when you're all shook up about what's going on in the world or your life or church, you're of a shaken mind. And that's not a good thing. Not for a believer to be all shook up. Oh, no, the sky is falling. You know, if you're a believer and you have faith in God and His sovereign hands and His control over the universe, you're not all shook up about everything. I remember somebody used to come to me all the time and say, oh, I'm offended. I'm offended. They offended. They offended me. And I finally showed them the scripture. Blessed are those that love the law or love the word, we'll say, and nothing offends them. Some Christians, every little thing offends them. They're all upset and hurt. Hey, you've got to be tough to be a soldier of the cross. (laughs) You've got to be tough to follow Jesus. And if every little thing hurts your feelings and offends you and causes you to quit living for God, you got to toughen up. Don't be of a shaken mind. But, what does Romans 12, 2 say? Be of a renewed mind. Think new. You're a believer now. Don't think about the old things. Colossians 3, 12. Be of a humble mind. So don't be of a reprobate, corrupt, vain, defiled, or shaken mind, but be of a renewed mind, a humble mind. And then I like 2 Corinthians 7, 7. And it says here, since we're there, turn there. Do be of a fervent mind. Look at that verse. I like that, 2 Corinthians 7, 7. Be of a fervent mind. And this word really means passionate. Today we would use the word, he's on fire. 2 Corinthians 7, 7. He says here, he says, earnestly desire in your morning your fervent mind toward me. He, Paul wanted them to be passionate, to be fervent, to be on fire. You know, we have too many dull Christians. Well, it's great to be a Christian. You know, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm just glad I'm saved. I mean, I'm not happy in Christian walk and the Christian life, but I'm glad I'm saved. Oh, get over it. You know, I still enjoy a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, and I can enjoy that sandwich like, I mean, it's great. You know, years ago I went to the doctor and they said, what did you eat for lunch? I don't know why they asked, but I have something wrong with me. I can't remember the circumstances. I said, three peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And my doctor, Doc Engelman, who was a friend of mine, he'd come to all my softball games and stuff, said, that's my favorite thing to eat. I said, bingo, it's mine too. I mean, you can enjoy life. Enjoy those small things and those moments that you have a good time. You know, enjoy the ball game. My boys can't stand my attitude about my ball teams. 
because if they get behind, I shut it off and I'm done with them. <laughs> I'm nervous. I don't like them losing. I get anxiety. And so I said, if Michigan gets behind, I'm going to the basement and work on my basement. I don't want to watch them lose to Ohio State again. And Daniel came over to watch the game with me. That wasn't going to be great fellowship if I left the room. And they got behind, and he said, Dad, you know, don't, don't leave. Because against Penn State, I left, and they went down and scored and won the game with a great ending. So I was going to go down. I thought, you know, Daniel's here. I'm just going to have to stay and endure this loss. And they won. And so all my kids were like, Dad, Dad, was Dad, did Dad see it? Did Dad stay? I'm such a prude. Why? I can't enjoy the ball game for the game, and I need to learn to, you know. I'm a sore loser. If they don't win, I don't enjoy the game. Well, there's a lot of great things in a ball game to enjoy. But we go through life not enjoying the moment. If I go fishing and I'm not catching fish, I'm not really happy. I think, I could have been home. I could have done this and that. Years ago, I took my four boys, four boys fishing in the Panama Canal. And they were like three, five, seven, and nine, or maybe four, six, eight, and ten. And I mean, we're trying to fish because I knew managing four kids with fishing poles, trolling and all that. So <clears throat> we're trolling along, and, and I had to bring one to the doctor one time because he had a hook in his head where his brother hooked him with a treble hook, and the doctor had to cut it out, so it's a good waste, a waste of a good lure. But this is how it was fishing with the boys. So I, I've got the four boys in the boat, and we're trolling, and I know where this one log is, so I said, boys, reel them in until we get beyond this log and uh, because it'll catch this log. And so you know how you have to steer like this in those old boats, you know, and I'm looking forward. One kid didn't reel his in. So what happened was his hook caught the log and his pole went sideways and took all the other three poles in. Now there's a lot of caiman in the Panama Canal. I got all the poles back, but I'm diving in, I'm unhooking hooks, untangling line. I get in the boat and I throw the poles down and I'm like, didn't I tell you? And I thought, isn't this a great experience with my boys? <laughs> they will remember this experience, but you know what they'll remember the most about that experience? That experience, Dad getting mad because of what happened. <laughs> we have to learn to enjoy that. If I did it again, you know what I'd do? I'd laugh. But not when I'm in my 20s or whatever I was. I guess I was in my 30s. But enjoy the moment. Enjoy life. Don't be approved. Don't be pessimistic. Several more Greek words. There's one more that's translated again, be of one mind, be in unity, as we said before, but it's a different word. In Timothy, we're told to be of a sound mind. This is a word we get our word sophisticated from. The person of a sound mind stops and thinks and says, that's stupid. That's a person you really want to be around because they'll say, have you thought that through? Have you given that some thought? My dad was like that. He was always of a sound mind. I'd think of something. I'd have a plan. My dad would say, have you thought that through? I mean, really think about it. And then I'd start to think, and I'd think, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that, you know? It's like the time I called dad from the basement. We used to have that number. You remember that? You'd dial a number, and your own phone would ring, and it's a, 
This is Coach Rowan, and Dan needs some new uh, cleats as he's running the 440 this uh, Wednesday. And Dad said, hang up the phone and get up here. <laughs> I didn't think it through. My dad knew my voice. But we make a lot of decisions because we don't think things through. When Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, the Bible says he was of a right mind. A right mind. Peter tells us to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. Philippians says we're told to be people of lowliness of mind, literally meaning base. We have to think of ourselves way down here. A man not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. I mean, we ought to realize what we really are, you know. When I pray, I sometimes have said, Lord, it's me again. <laughs> you know, just a few minutes ago, I was asking you for some help. It's me again. We realize we're nothing without him. We have, the Bible says not to be of a weary mind. Another word, not to be of an evil mind. This is our word psych, which is translated mind. It's our word we get our word psychology from. So we have to be careful with our psychology. It's not a bad word. I remember in ta I taught a class in philosophy, and one of my students said, I thought philosophy is an evil word. No, we have a biblical worldview. All of you have a Christian philosophy. Philosophy is not a bad word. There's an evil philosophy, but we are people of biblical philosophy. We believe the Bible, and the Bible should dominate our lives. Finally, in 2 Corinthians 3.14, we can turn there, and back in 2 Corinthians since we're there. 3.14, it says here, But their minds were blinded, for until this day there remained the same veil, untaken away by the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. They were blinded by a veil. They didn't see the truth of the New Testament. And, and, and we know the Bible says that Satan blinded the minds in 4.4, right down the next page, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. He blinded their minds. So, folks, what are we saying today? That we need to realize that what goes in there is very important. You know, the TV, which we can enjoy, some television, but you will see the spirit of Antichrist continually pumping information into your kids and your grandkids. Radio stations pumping stuff into their heads. It's wrong. Listen to the wrong kind of people. Getting your advice. Chuck, my buddy, he, when he became a Christian, he's not here tonight, the one I talk, talk about. He became a Christian. He was getting a lot of advice from a neighbor man named Mr. Ganey. He, he delivered papers, and he got to know this man. He'd get a lot of advice. And, it, and I was a young Christian. just got right with the Lord, but I definitely knew some of the advice he was getting was bad. And I'd say, who told you that? He, Mr. Ganey. Finally, I said to him, you need to give up on Mr. Ganey. He's told you several things that are wrong. Well, Mr. Ganey was just an old drunk. He was a nice guy. He gave Chuck a lot of advice, but it was bad advice. You know, and, and so finally Chuck grew and gave up Mr. Ganey's advice. But how many people do I know that have been in church for a long time, and they still get advice from the wrong people and the wrong sources? They read the wrong books, listen to the wrong people. I know I've picked on Dr. Phil one time, but Dr. Phil is usually wrong, <laughs> so you know. 
While sometimes he's got good advice, it's you, when it's good, it's usually biblical, he doesn't realize it. But how many times have I listened to him and thought, oh my word, is that wrong? And yet I know Christians that get, I remember you guys, older folks, most of you remember, they'll never know who Ann Landers was and what was her sister-in-law, they had a fallen out and um, she had similar, similar column. Dear Abby and Abby and Ann, they, they had some sort of falling out. And she had some really neat advice, but sometimes my dad and mom got the paper and they'd read it. My dad said, oh, brother. It's my dad's thing. He said, brother, what a bunch of malarkey Ann Landers had tonight, you know? And, and, you know, get your advice from the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and godly people. The Bible said, surround yourself with a multitude of counselors. Stop listening to the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and help us, Lord, to realize the importance of our minds. To not be carnally minded, fleshly minded, but to listen to you and your word and realize when we're wrong that we're thinking about the wrong stuff. Help us, God, to be spiritually minded people, humble and spiritually minded. We ask you to bless in Jesus' name. Amen.